I'm Kristen Marchand, and this is the Apiango Line, the podcast that takes you back to the grand old days of the Upper Madawaska and Opiango River Valleys, and where we get up close and personal with all those fine folks who have given us this local community's unique heritage and distinctive culture. This week, we turn back the clock to one of the finest cultural establishments to ever grace the shores of Lake Kamenizkeg. It was officially known as Plebin's Lakeside Pavilion, and though it sat just outside the town limits throughout the 1950s and 1960s, it was the place to be on those warm summer nights when it was time to sashay out there on that waxed pine dance floor and do do with your friends and neighbors, if not the love of your life. Some nights you might dance Mac Beatty and the Ottawa Valley Melodiers playing the Lake Dory Waltz, but most nights it was the joyous sounds of Fiddlin' Joe Poplinski and his family, keeping time so the square dance caller could keep his Alamand lefts from bumping into his Alamand rights. Not too surprisingly, Plebin's Lakeside Pavilion was a dance hall majestically set among the tall pines overlooking Lake Kamenizkeg, and that toe-tapping fiddle music could often be heard across the waters. It was also a place that rarely needed to advertise to draw hundreds upon hundreds of local and out-of-towners there every Saturday night, to say nothing of those famous Sunday dances that happened on long weekends and didn't begin until midnight. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. We've gathered here today three of those plebans, Joanne, Linda, and Marilyn, who all grew up in that famous family headed by Ambrose and Bernadette Pleban, and who built, owned, and operated that wonderful and very memorable Lakeside Pavilion. Here they are chatting about those rare old times with Barry Conway, the producer of the Apiango line. My name is Marilyn Pleban McKenzie. So I'm five years younger than Linda, and uh, nine years younger than Joanne. My name is Joanne Levin Poplinski. I'm the eldest of the family, and I paved the way for the three that followed me. I'm Linda Plevin Newman, and I'm the middle daughter <laughs> with the uh, middle daughter complex. <laughs> the middle child complex, if you want to call it. And I'm four years younger than Joanne and five years older than Marilyn. I went to grade school at St. Joseph's and then on to Madawaska Valley District High School. Uh, Once I graduated from high school, uh, I moved to North Bay and went to Canada College. I was there for four years and then my first job was in Capascasing. I was there for about a year and then moved to Fort Francis uh, for four and a half years. Uh, and then to Perry Sound for four years and to Bracebridge for the rest of my career. I was a medical laboratory technologist. Okay, I went to St. Joseph's and then for grade 11 I went to Cumbermere to the convent as a day student and then when I uh, entered into grade 12 that was the first year the high school was built and I did my grade 12 and 13 and then I went one year to Teachers College in Ottawa And after that, I got out and I went straight into teaching and uh, taught for like four years until I got my permanent teacher certificate. And then I stayed at home and brought up my family of three children. And back in 19, or then in 1984, I went back into teaching and uh, found out that I needed a BA. So I took my uh, university by correspondence with Laurentian University and 
don't know how many years later, I graduated with a BA in Women's Studies from Laurentian. And uh, I taught for most of my career at Sherwood Public School until I retired in 2006. And I've lived in the Bears Bay area um, almost all of my life. I did it in Palmer for about 13 yeah. years. And Joanne? I began, I was living in Maryland. I took the elementary school at St. Joseph's. And then I went to St. Joseph's High School, which was a three-room school at the far end of Barry's Bay. I went there for grade 10 and 11. Then I did grade 12 in Cumbermere because I convinced my parents that if I was going into nursing, I needed to actually handle some chemistry equipment. <laughs> so I did my year there, and then I trained at Lorraine School of Nursing in Pembroke. And... Um, Two weeks after my graduation, Dad had his accident and was killed. I was supposed I was hired by the general hospital and I was going to begin my nursing career there. But after Dad's accident, I very quickly decided that I was needed at home, so I came to Barry's Bay. I worked at uh, St. Francis Memorial Hospital for a year. And then the high school was looking for a school nurse, so I applied. And I worked at the school nurse for two years and then moved back to Pembroke. At that time, the two years I was in Mary's Bay, I was married. And uh, after my, my first son, Tim, was born, I moved back to Pembroke. And that's where I finished my career, working at the hospital for a number of years. And then at uh, the Marion Hill nursing home. I always assumed you always lived down uh, beside the Lakeshore Pavilion. Is that where you... To tell me kind of the housing that you were involved with when you were growing up. You didn't live there, you lived over by Doug McIsaac's? Uh, yes, okay. I did. They did. I, um, yeah, I remember as a young child living in the house, which is, would be across from Tim Hortons. It was a big two-story black because it was wood on the outside and had weathered. It was black. Grandma Plevin was there and mom and dad and um, that's about all I remember about that but I do remember once coming home with mom from watching dad play hockey and my feet were frozen so there was a big commotion and they ended up putting uh, building the fire in the cooking stove in the kitchen and they sat me in front of the oven opened the oven door and let me sit there while my feet warmed up that was my exposure to Canadian hockey. And then after that, I think it was from shortly after Linda was born, then we, Dad had built a house in Pog, well, Pog Lake, and then we moved to Pog Lake. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So how long were you out there? Till Marilyn was born. Marilyn was three. Uh, we talked about this. Marilyn was three when we moved to, into the house. Uh, beside Lakeside, the Lakeside Pavilion. So I, five years, I was number three, I was nine, eight or nine, yeah, when yeah. I moved here. Yeah, it would be So nine. we lived in the house in Pog Lake for about eight years. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's roll back to the, the origin story, how the Pleban, not just the Pleban line, but the, the maternal side as well. Where did you? Where did the family come from? They obviously emigrated to Canada at some point. So, does somebody want to tell us what this, that story was? I can start. Um, Dad off 
often say, I heard him say that uh, he was part Austrian, mm -hmm. that he wasn't Polish. Mm -hmm. And in, uh, I went back and I have with uh, the, uh, a book written by Ed Chipier on the Chipier family that he, Ed wrote in 1993, because they had a big reunion then. And of course, my mother being a Chipier, there is a connection with Ed's grandfather. And then I also have uh, Teresa Prince's book on the Kaznaskis, and there is a connection with the Plebans, and I was able to find out a bit more than about the Plebans that way. But um, the Plebans, uh, there was um, Michael Pleban, was an Aust Aust Austrian farmer who immigrated to Canada, and his wife was Catherine Stefanik, she was also from Austria, and she immigrated to Canada about 11 years later. And that's where I, I remember Dad and Mom saying we were related to the Steffens, and that's the connection okay. through her. And um, what, was, was Kleben the original name, or was that transliterated by, like a lot of families had their names changed by English right. census mm -hmm. takers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so. um, the Pleban from what I was able to find, because I did spend time a number of years ago, it was spelled P-L-E-B-A-N, not B-O-N. Okay. Uh, but that, but MJ has mentioned where he met somebody in Montreal uh, who was from Poland, and she verified that there were plebeins living in Poland that she knew. So that was kind of neat. Because it sounds very, it sounds English. It doesn't sound well, uh, Eastern European at all. Well, when I was a student nurse, I did three months training at Sick Kids in Montreal. And what was funny there, I used to get a chuckle of it, was if they needed someone to speak French to a child, I was the one that got called. And I said, oh yeah, good luck with this one. But they they spent it. They pronounce it plebon. Plebon, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But it's uh, definitely. I guess it's more Austrian and maybe Polish yeah. because there's no ski on the end. Well, one of the real issues is those those borders at the time of the the Polish migration in 1858. Everybody's Prussian according to the census data, and if you're Prussian, that could mean you're either. Uh, German, Polish, or, or Russian, or it could be Austrian too, because the the, uh, the borders were constantly changing, and, and the sense of nationality or nationhood really wasn't uh, something until the second half of the 19th century. So people saw themselves as belonging to almost the equivalent of a county as opposed to a, a province or a nation state. Uh, so, okay, so uh, Michael comes over, uh, any idea what year you were talking about? Uh, Michael came in 1840. So what, what happened to the Pleban family from 1840 till they get to, let's say, Barry's Bay? Whereabouts are they? Do you have any idea? Uh, I haven't been able to find a whole okay. lot. Dad did at one point, Linda, say that they did live in Cumbermere. Mm -hmm. And he, and there is a gathering of uh, plebans in Holfield. Yeah. I don't know. But there is also something I read about them living in the Pembroke area. There was information that you okay. gave me. Yeah. Okay, initially then, maybe. Yes. Yeah. And then yes. they moved this way. Yeah. <clears throat> and they moved 
They were living in the Palmer Rapids, Hopefield, Brunel, mm -hmm. Lindock, that area. And then I remember Dad saying they moved to Barry's Bay from Cumber Bear, mm -hmm. the area. Yeah. Were your grandparents alive when you were growing up? Just grandmas. Uh, Never gra knew grandfather? Uh, we didn't know our grandfathers, no. Okay. They were gone. They were dead. Did, did your grandmothers tell you anything about the origin story, about where they'd been or where they'd come from? No, we didn't. That wasn't discussed really back then. So, what what's your earliest memories of? Obviously, you would be thinking across from Tim Hortons mm -hmm. when you grew up there. You remember being in Pog Lake, and you remember. I remember being beside the pavilion. Pavilion, um, and so there, there's no grandfathers. That, uh, no, they were never. Knew no, grandfathers. they were both. So both on, dead. Which grand were both grandmothers alive? When yes. You yes. Yes. So you've got so one is uh, Pleban and the other is Chipier. Chipier, okay. Yeah. Just going around uh, the three of you, what's the earliest memory you have as a child? What are some of the memories you have? The earliest memories you have? Well, I remember uh, as a as a small child, we would go to visit Grandma Chipier in Wilno almost every Sunday night. It was our drive. We went and visited. Um, she lived in the home with her son Stanley and his wife Agnes and their children. And we would go and meet, spend either the afternoon or the evening there. And I, I remember she would always sit on the rocking chair beside <laughs> the wood stove. And she'd sit there with her hands folded and she'd be twiddling her thumbs. You know how they roll them? <laughs> that, that I remember. And I remember one time staying overnight, being fortunate, fortunate enough to be able to stay overnight, and I slept in the same bed with Grandma. And that morning when she got up, she had long, beautiful, white, silvery hair. And she sat at the edge of the bed, and she was brushing her hair in the sunlight. And I'll never forget that, because I can still see it. There it was, she had, it was silver, sparkly, in the sunlight, and she was braiding. She was brushing her hair and braiding it, and she always she had long hair, so she braided it, and she put the braids around her head and pinned them at the top. Okay. And that's that's one thing that I really really remember about that. A lot of people will remember food or routines, so I'm I'm wondering, do you remember your grandmother cooking? No. Uh, do you remember things she would do, like the twiddle the twiddling of the thumbs, but. Uh, like, would you keep a garden? Would she do things that you you find later in life you end up doing that are similar? Not so much her, because she lived with her son and his wife. They did all of that, okay. and they they had their family. So Aunt Agnes would do the baking and the cooking and stuff like that. So Grandma Chipier really didn't do, but I can remember anything like that. However, Dad's mom, Grandma Plevin. She had a huge garden, mm -hmm. and and uh, she pickled. And I mm -hmm. can remember my mother and dad going there for cabbage to make yeah, sauerkraut so in the fall all yeah. the time, and uh, cucumbers to make dill pickles. Like mom did all of that, and uh, grandma. They had a huge, huge garden. Okay. Yeah. Joanne, your your earliest memories. I know it's an early memory, but it's a memory that. Um, probably the three, three of us certainly have, and that is uh, when we went to school at lunchtime, we went to Grandma Platman's for lunch. 
and we would either bring our own lunch and go there, which I really enjoyed and was a chance to visit with Grandma, or when the packaged chicken noodle soup came out, that's what we got every lunch when we were going to school. But Grandma Plevin, I remember, again, the gardens. I remember when I made, after making my first communion, um, there was always in May then a procession for Our Lady around the churchyard at St. Hedwig's. And we didn't have any flowers. Mom wasn't one to, to grow flowers. So I was really having a hard time finding the flowers. But I went to Grandma Plevin and she was tickled pink to be able to give me the petals from, I guess it was her peonies. Mm -hmm. And I put the, I had a little white basket and we, I got all my petals so that I could then be a flower girl when we did the procession that Sunday at, after Mass. So that's... Uh, Where was Grandma Plevin located? I presume you're talking about St. Joseph's Primary School. Yeah. St. Edward's. That's right. And she lived... Um, on Wilno Street. On Wilno... Okay, yeah. On Wilno Street. Do... Um, Third house down. On the Third left. Third house down on the left. On the left. Right in front of the big hill. Wilno... So, and there were a couple of barns there because Grandpa August... Did he have he had horses? He had horses. Yes. And I remember him whittling away at the axe handles. He would do a lot of that. Okay. But yeah, there was a, the barn there, and then in front of the barn was this, as Linda said, this huge garden that Grandma always had. Okay. You know her hair and stories. Yeah. Okay, so it's. Well, you know where Tommy Skews lived? Yeah. yeah. Okay, it was it's just two, two doors down, down from Tommy yeah. Skews. Yeah. It's funny how. If I'm in, you know, I can talk about San Francisco, and I know all the streets there. Very bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, there weren't so names when we were here. Tommy, you know, two doors yeah. down from Tommy. Yeah. 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 Okay, that's, uh, that's really interesting. Uh, Marilyn, your earliest memories? Um, well, I remember going to visit Grandma um, Chip here in Wilno, and I remember the house being a two-story house, and um, there was you know those holes in the floor and they'd have like a decorative grate yeah. so that the heat from the bottom floor would rise to the top and I remember going upstairs and looking down at people in the kitchen and listening yes <laughs> and uh, they, she also had a big wraparound porch around the house and I remember playing on the porch with my cousins and uh, with grandma Plebin, um she remarried, and uh, she, I don't was Joe Poplinski August August Poplinski, and uh, so I remember going there for lunch also, and and what I remember about Grandma Plebins was that um, she used to make homemade bread, and I thought it was the best homemade bread because she baked it in a wood stove, and so I always remember that. And then um, she used to have um, peppermint candies. You know those little white ones, and every once in a while she'd give us one as a little treat. So, speaking of which, one of my earliest memories is it's very similar how these cultures, the men where you're coming from, have the same thing. So my grandmother had this great big Prince Edward stove, and it was a wood-fired stove. She made bread in the cinnamon rolls. 
But there must have been something going on at the local stores here, because she kept a dish of peppermints on her <laughs> kitchen table, and I'm about you know, three and a half, and I remember coming out, and she used to do this trick with me that I still, I've done with my own kids, which is you, you take two or three peppermints, and then there was no indoor plumbing, so she had a bucket with a dipper of very cold water. Oh, yes. oh yeah. And, and you take the, you, you, she, she'd get you to sort of suck on the peppermints and then take the dipper of cold water and then breathe in. And it was like the craziest thing to do for, and she was probably close to 85 years old. I'm three and a half. But I still remember that. And I could, every time I, see a peppermint, it reminds me of my grandmother. And I, but peppermints, that, that's, you're the first one to tell me that story similar mm -hmm. to my own. So I figured Charlie Murray must have had a special on yeah. peppermints. Well, it was Heron's store. It was Heron's store. Because they were so close Julie by. Yeah. yeah, and she went to Heron's store because I remember when we lived on Pog Lake and Saturday nights would come and Grandma Plevin would yeah, come she, and babysit us. Yeah, Joanne and I, every Saturday mm -hmm. night, and Dad would go and get her, and she'd come into the house, and she'd bring her purse. <laughs> and we would sit there beside her, as close as we could get, looking at her purse, because in her purse, she brought us candy. <laughs> and I can remember Mom and Dad saying, now don't bother Grandma about her purse. <laughs> you know, and as soon as they would leave, right away, what you got in your purse, Grandma? <laughs> that was I. The, yeah. That was something. Oh, yeah. And yeah, she uh, she babysat us every Saturday. Yeah. yeah. We had uh, a lot of contact with Grandma Pleb, and I guess it was because she was here in Barry's Bay. But when I think of Grandma Chip here, I think of parties and relatives because yes. every summer, Mom's sisters would come home. She had a sister in Sudbury and she had a sister in Montreal. They would come home and it was party time because, and then we also had relatives in Ottawa that would come and stay at the um, cottage below the dance hall. So we would all, that was when we would all get together and it was fun. And it was the only time that I was ever, or we were, because Linda, you probably came too, we were allowed to go from Wilno across onto the train tracks and go and visit our cousin Carolyn Chipier, mm -hmm. who lived on the other side of the tracks. Okay. And that, that was that was the things that kind of you know separate grandmothers, but uh, there were certainly special times and there were special people. Yeah. Tell me about your parents and how they met and any stories you have of them growing up with obviously your grandmothers and grandfathers. Well, in, in this book called uh, The Legacy, The Portraits of a Generation, Mom kind of gave a little bit of background. Uh, she met Dad in 1936, so she was about 17, and he was about 21. But they didn't get married till 1945. Whereabouts were they living? Like, did she they lived in Wilmo, and he lived in Barry's Bay. And so they didn't get to see each other very often because there weren't very many cars back then. But Dad was one that had a car. And so everybody knew him because he had a car. <laughs> and uh, there was, like, they met in 1936. And then she did her thing. She went away to Ottawa to work. And then when she came back in 19... 
44. They met up again, and they were married in 1945. Tell me a bit, a bit about uh, like Bernadette's. Is, she's not the one who's growing up in Barry's Bay because that's Mrs. Plebin, the grandmother. Mm -hmm. um, so she's growing up in Wilno, and she's a chip here. Yes. Okay. So that's the grandmother you go to uh, in Wilno. In yes. Wilno. Okay. Yeah. What, what's her story? She like I knew Bernadette when she was much older. Uh, she she went to work in Ottawa. Or? She yeah she went as far as grade eight in Wilno. Yeah. And then if you wanted to go to high school, you had to go to Barry's Bay. And uh, according to this article, she said that there was only two cars in Wilno at the time, so they couldn't go to school in Barry's yeah. Bay. So that was her education, grade eight. Yeah. And then her first job, she went to work for a lady in Killaloo. Um, who sold hats. <laughs> and I'm sure she traveled by train to go to Killaloo to yeah. work. And then after she worked for that lady, she decided to go to Ottawa to work. And she worked for a family as their housekeeper. And he was a dentist, mm -hmm. I think. Eh? Yeah. And so she said she, she made a good living doing that. She sent home money to her mom and kept just what she needed. Um, but she said that she could uh, buy lots of things back then for a dollar, so it was it was pretty good. Um, she worked there then, what was it, seven years? I don't know. Anyways, when she came back then to Lomo, she met up with Dad, and then they got married. Yeah. Did, did your parents mention uh, taking the train out of town or going anywhere? Well, that's how Mom got to Ottawa to work. Yeah, but, but did, did they take, like, I, I have stories of, Mrs. Shalla, who I never knew, did this. Uh, she's born in 1891, I think, something like that. And when she's 21 years old, she takes the train to Chicago and lives mm -hmm. there for four months. And then comes back. I would have loved to have talked to her about that. I didn't know. Like, you don't, you don't have that sort of conception of what is possible. So that's why I'm kind of fishing around wondering, did, did your parents or your grandparents travel beyond the sort of 50-mile circuit? Uh... Um, I think Mom's older sister, Kessie, yeah. was married to Joe Roach from Killaloo, and he was a conductor, and they lived in Sudbury. So I'm sure when they would come to Wilno, they would take the train, because I don't remember Uncle Joe ever driving a vehicle. Yeah. The same thing with Auntie Anna Mary, who was a younger sister of Mom's, she lived in, with her husband and they had one son. They lived in, lived in Montreal. And they would also come up in the summertime and they came by train. But as far as us, like Uncle Stanley had a vehicle because he would, or Dad and Mom would go and get Grandma and bring her and she would spend time with us. Uh, I don't remember if any of us ever hopping the train to go to Wilno. Yeah. I remember... The one time, I think, oh no, the second time I was on a train in my life, I think, the first time was mom and dad letting me go, because I think my, maybe my whole class went. The queen was in Ottawa, and we were allowed to go down to see her. That was the first time I ever set foot on a train. So I was, I was in elementary school at the time, but probably grade 7 or 8, Marie Rakowski tells that story of they took a class from here 
down to see the, I thought it was the Queen Mother. But well, maybe. It could be. Uh, and she said the whole class went yeah, down. Yeah, I see. And they all went down by train. Yeah. Which was, I guess, the early 50s or yeah. the late 50s. Yeah, it would be. We never had See, that. Dad, Dad never had to, to no. go by train because he always had a car. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me about your father. He uh, he grows up in in Barry's Bay area, mm -hmm. and he ends up building a house over or has a house over by Dougal McIsaac. But what what was his background? Because he ends up in a pretty interesting entrepreneurial activity. He had. Uh, I want to get back to the rink, whoever started that. Uh, he had the tile business, mm -hmm. and then he had the lake, the lake pavilion, and he might have had other things for all I know. To tell me a bit about your father and what, what his background was and how he got into his first business venture, for instance. Uh, it's hard to really pinpoint saying he drove a truck or he was a farmer or whatever. My memory of that is the dance hall and the well tile. Mm -hmm. Those are the two things. And that, as we got older, and especially after we moved down here by the hall, not so much the, the uh, well tile, because mom and dad didn't want us going there, because it was could be dangerous with the men working there. But certainly with the hall, <clears throat> we then became part of what was going on there and had our, our special jobs to do. But yes, I, Dad was very entrepreneurial. He, I describe him as being very visionary. He sought what was going on in the area and where maybe things were going. For example, um, when the ski hill was being built, I remember him saying, sitting at home and saying, these people are going to be coming to ski and there's no place for them to stay around here. We need to build a motel, and that's what he started, and that's what he was doing was cutting logs to send to help to make you know wood to to build a motel. So he um, he really worked for himself, I think, a lot of the time. And the dance hall, the first dance hall was built, I think, like Linda said, a mom wrote in 1945, and it was where the roadside park is, okay. and it burnt. And then in 1947, the hall over here was built. And that was like a year, two years after they were married. Um, that hall went through many, many stages over the years. Uh, but let me roll back a clock even further. Uh, I have a set of photographs which I can give you copies of. Nora Landon, who I didn't know, uh, I knew Nora, I used to do chores for her, but when she was about 20 years old, she got a camera, and she took pictures all over town. Oh. And she has a set of pictures of what she calls the Pleban Rink. Mm -hmm. And the Pleban Rink, uh, down on, across from Tim Hortons, behind Yakubuskis, mm -hmm. in front of Google McIsaacs, honest to God, for 1910, it's pretty impressive. It has boards. Yeah. It has electric lights. Uh, it has the 1910s answer to Zamboni, which was a horse with a scraper that would scrape the ice surface. They had a women's hockey team playing oh, really? there. They had the men's hockey team. 
it was it was a it was a very happening place. So my question to you is obviously that's not Ambrose because Ambrose probably isn't even well, he might have been born, but that's got that that Clevin had to be his father. What year yeah. did you say that was? Nineteen ten. Okay, because see, Dad was born in nineteen fifteen. Yeah. So what I'm thinking of is the must entrepreneur, been, the entrepreneur is coming from the grandfather. Yeah. So do you, do you have any stories about your grandfather in that ring? No. No, just that the, we heard the rink was there. Now, Dad was a very good hockey player. Yeah, I, I, I've seen, the, actually, I've been in Spare Board, which I put out every second week now. Uh, I have access to all these old newspapers. So mm -hmm. the, the Ottawa Journal of the 1920s and 30s are full of people. I know their names, but I'm shocked to see their their sportsmanship. Like, Jackie Vikuski. Jackie. Yeah. Dad. Well, Casey, yeah, Jack and Dad. Dad told us that the Ottawa Senators had sent a letter to, because Dad and Jackie, because I, there are pictures on a hockey team, mm -hmm. sending a, pic, a letter to the coach asking if Jackie and Dad would come down to Ottawa to try out for the Senators. Jackie and Dad never heard about that. Yeah. Well, what, what, what you see in the old newspapers, like the Ottawa Journal from the 1929 or 34, yeah. Little Berry's Bay, a village of you know a couple hundred yeah. people, are playing in uh, uh, competitions in Ottawa. Oh, really? And so they, oh. they will they will list uh, sort of the the, the lead uh, players on the team. So Jackie Bikuski, Ambrose Plebin, uh, Casey Murray, yeah. Leonard Leonard, Shal uh, Leonard uh, Sullivan, so, yeah. the show up. And again, Nora has one of these pictures taken in 1928. David just gave it to me, David Sullivan, of Leonard. And it's a beautiful picture taken down at the Plevin's ring. And that's where I'm really curious to find out more about what, what how that ring came about. Uh, but you guys have no... Yeah, I see. That was in the Bay paper. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about the uh, pavilion then. Your, fa your father obviously was the brains behind mm -hmm. that. He, uh, the first one was up here on the roadside park. It was built in 45? 44. A year after they were married, he decided to build and run the Lakeside Pavilion. So that was that one. So this... He that was 1945. Before they got married. Or 44. They were married in 45? That would be in 44. And I think he was single when that yeah. he okay. built that one yeah. and it burnt. Is it possible that his father had built one before that? The reason I ask that, there are stories of the Lakeside Pavilion in the late 20s and early 30s. If your memory and knowledge is of the Lakeside Pavilion not starting till 45, there's a whole bunch of fictitious stories connected with the Lakeside Pavilion involving people like Al Capone uh, that, uh, that obviously never happened. Because if there was no Lakeside Pavilion, how could it have happened? Yeah. And so I'm wondering if your grandfather, who had probably built the rink in 1910, if he might have had a pavilion before your father built his. You never know. I don't know. All I know is that before I before I was born, or when I was born, Grandpa Clevin didn't survive. Uh, he was dead. in this book that Teresa Prince wrote. 
She's got this is about Grandma Plevin and the Plevin family. After John Plevin died in 1920 at the age of 48, his widow Mary Mar married August Paplinski. So Grandpa Plevin died in 1920. Okay. So he, he, but he's the guy who probably did the Plevin ring. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So maybe Paplinski's had something. Is, is, is this the same, is this the Fiddle and Joe crowd? No, or is no, no, no. Different no this, all, this is like a relative, okay. like a distant relative of Joe Poplinski's, yeah. Okay. But this is, this is one of the reasons I'm doing these interviews, because there are these fictitious stories yeah. that are out there, and when you peel the onion on them, you find out they not only aren't true, they couldn't have been true, because the, the facilities that were there... It's like Charlie Murray telling me he used to hunt with... Uh, I go fishing with Ernest Hemingway. I believed him for about 20 years until I realized the picture he showed me of him and Ernest, ostensibly taken in 1963, was taken two years after Ernest had died. <laughs> so it, could, it couldn't have been true. So what year did Grandpa Plevin die? 1920. 1920, and Dad was born in 1915. So he was so only five. He was six year, five years old. So if the rape was there... Didn't Dad move from Cumbermere to Barry's Bay when he was five? Possibly. Oh, there, yeah, there's that. Listen, I remember something about that. When Dad, at the age of five, they moved from Cumbermere. Well, if, Somebody if, telling me well, that. If, if your father was five years old and born in 1915, and his father died maybe, in 1920... Maybe that's... Yeah, he, he might have... But maybe that's why Grandma Plevin then moved to Barry's Bay. Maybe. I'm not here to sort of yeah. speculate, well, but I'm just, curious what, what, yeah. you, what you know and what your family history. Yeah. Uh, if anybody should know, you guys should know. But I thought he built the rink when he was 17. Didn't I read something? He was it, very. He was running the rink. Like my understanding, or, he was like 16 when he had the rink. Your father. Yeah. So. If he moves to Barry's Bay in 1920... He was only five. But the, the rink was already operational in 1910 because I got photographs of it. Oh. So the, the one across from Tim Hortons? Yeah. That, that thing is operational in 1910 uh, and Nora Landon calls it the Pleban Rink. Well, that mm. must be down a... That's what, like a swampy... Yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's the Pleban Rink. And in other uh, social histories we've done, people who were, you know, playing hockey and skating in the in the twenties and thirties, they all refer to it as the Plevins Ring. Mm -hmm. The old gray lady, the one that uh, is where the value, uh, super value or value mart is now, that wasn't built until 1949. So the only rink that people knew about in the first half of the twentieth century was the Plevins Ring, which was. Uh, across from Tim Hortons. And then Monsignor Bernaski in yeah. the 1940s or 50s put together a, just a, it's like the one in Wilno, uh, where it's just a mm -hmm. set of boards and it's, it's fresh, fresh ice, there's no artificial ice. Well, yeah. when we lived on Pog Lake, we always had a rink outside our house. Dad built it for us every winter and taught us how to skate. You know, that was. Uh, I can remember, that was one of my first memories of, of doing things with him. Yeah. He would build the rink and the first pair of skates would be the bob skates on the boots, you know, strapped to your rubbers. And the next pair that I was telling Joanna Marilyn, the very first pair of skates that I got were like a tube skate. 
And they were as close, they were white, so they were girl skates, because heaven forbid should join our boy skates back then. But they were a tube skate and they were, they were a hand-me-down and they were so big I wore my shoes in them because those were the only skates I had, but I could yeah. skate. Yeah. And then when we start, when the arena was built, Dad would take us to the rink every Friday night and every Sunday night to skate. This is the one to the one where Valley Mart is now. Okay. And uh, he, <laughs> we would we graduated from those skates then to figure skates. But uh, he'd come and watch us skate, and if he caught us pushing ourselves with those picks on the toes, we got a lecture all the way home. <laughs> And what he would do then is he would take those skates and he, he filed off the bottom three picks so that you do not use those picks to push yourself, to make yourself go. You skate striding outwards and push yourself that way. You don't skate like a girl. Oh, he was you skate like a boy. He was very, <laughs> you know, he was very strict about that. Oh, he you was, knew and he'd watch us yeah, and he'd, he'd come early. Told. <laughs> yeah, I remember being at that uh, the old grey lady on like in the evenings in the sixties, and we'd go skating every every second evening. Yeah, and it was all school children. Yeah. we just go around and yeah. around do yeah. rat tails and all sorts of things. But so when when are you doing that with your father? Is that the the mid fifties? Well, it would be because I was in I was in school then. Yeah, I was probably grade three, grade four, and and he would take us skating, and that was before we moved down here because mm-hmm. it was. Yeah. yeah. So you this you moved out here in what sixty? You said you were three years old. So you were born. Yeah, I don't remember. It. You were born in, yeah. in fifty five. I was born in fifty. You were born in fifty five. So it's nineteen fifty eight. Fifty eight. Yeah. Okay. Fifty eight. Yeah. Was there any particular reason why he chose this property close to the lake? Is it because he had a passion for skating and wanted to have a, a rink close by, or was there just uh, well, I, I guess the pavilion was there already. The pavilion so, was there, so, to so it was closer. closer. Yeah, closer. Now the tile business, I remember it being down here. So when did that start? Was that before he moved down here? Oh yeah, it was, I remember it being, it was like it was all, Dad always made well tile. Yeah. Now, Mom says in this article, I've known him since we met in 1936. But her husband, and then they got married in 1945. She said her husband was a concrete well tile maker by trade. Okay. So that was probably what he did yeah. at the very beginning. Because I know he made the well tile. He also used to dig wells. Mm-hmm. But then when he was making the well tile, one of his brothers, Johnny, would dig the well. See, I remember we had, before the Waterworks came in in 70, 71, I remember your father being over at our place, and they had a well there, but there was something happened to it, and so they had to dig it out again. And it was your father, and I can still I can still remember them installing the tiles. Mm-hmm. I thought this was a kind of an interesting uh, activity, and they had these pulleys and mm-hmm. all sorts of mechanisms. The tripod. To, yeah, yeah, the tripod yeah. to get to get it in there. One of the things with Dad's business that was a bit unique. He would never be allowed to do it now, but he would. A certain number of his tile would go into the lake for a certain period of time, yeah. and he advertised that they were treated. Which meant when you built the well, dug a well, you put those tile, in, two or three tile in first, yeah. and you were able to drink the water right away yeah. because if you didn't, 
you had to wait till you got rid of that cement taste. Yeah. So that was his Thailand became that business became quite demanding because of what he was able to op offer people when they were building a home and needed a well. Yeah. So what, what what happened to your father? I, I, he passed away in a, uh, an accident. Mm -hmm. Six, 1967. 1967. Yeah. yeah. He uh, had he owned property up on going. I forget what it's called. He owned Sand Hill Drive. Sand Hill Drive. Okay. And he was clearing it, and he was cutting down trees, and he had logs, and he was loading the logs onto a truck, so they could be taken and made into lumber, and. He was using a bulldozer, the blade of a bulldozer, and he uh, had taken, he had a cover for the bulldozer, but it was off. And he had, a, I don't know how many he, he would put on the blade at one time, but he lifted the blade with the, the logs up, and one of the logs got caught, and they started to fall towards him. And so he jumped off the bulldozer, but unfortunately his leg got caught and he was pulled under and uh... The bulldozer ran over oh, half. Yeah. Kind of shocking to, to hear about. So in 1967 your your father passes away, so mm -hmm. your, mother, your mother must have her hands full by that time. Uh, trying to raise, uh, there's four of you. Mm -hmm. um, Joanne was basically on her own because she had graduated okay. and she was working but she was living back at home. And I was 17, yeah. and Marilyn was 12, and then June was 6. Seven. 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 Six, he would have turned 7 in mm -hmm. July, and Dad was killed June 1st. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about growing up with uh, Andrews and Bernadette, and some of the memories you have of them. Dad, um, Dad was a quiet person. He wasn't shy, but he was quiet. And certainly very easy to talk to because of that manner. And... Um, I don't know if I have ever I ever saw him upset. He he always seemed to keep his composure. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. He kept he might have been upset, but he would keep his composure. He expected a lot. This is me talking. He expected a lot from me, and I don't think it would be any different for Linda, Marlon, or MJ. Sometimes 100% wasn't good enough, and maybe should be a little bit more. Uh, he um, told us to be responsible. He taught us, and he taught us that. I remember <laughs> I had mentioned earlier to you about the summertime and the relatives coming home to Wilno, and it was a good party time. And um, my cousin Phyllis would come from Sudbury, and she would always come and spend a few days with us. And I asked Dad if he would go to Wilno and get Mom, or get Phyllis. And he turned to me and he says, "No, Joanne, I won't." And I was shocked because Dad never responded that way to me before. And I said, well, why? He said, well, Joanne, you know those windows in the hall that I asked you to paint? Yes. They're not done yet. No. So, left it at that. Now, Phyllis did come and spend a few days, but it was on Dad's schedule, not mine. And after that, when Dad asked me to do something, I made sure it was done. <laughs> But that was, like, that was a very, I always remembered that, like there was no shouting or anything. Yeah. It was just the situation and yes, if you're told to do something, you do it. Yeah. Um, he also, something that stuck with me was, um, I want you girls to get a good education because if you 
I grow up and you're married and something happens, you will be able to support your family. Yeah. And that, so I knew when I finished high school that wasn't the end. There was a, the next stage of my life. So it wasn't a question as to whether I would go on and get a further education that was expected of me. Mom uh, was a disciplinarian. She, uh, she was strict. Yeah, she was very strict. And uh, I would, if I wanted something, I would go to Dad first and mm -hmm. bargain with him. And depending on his response, I wouldn't know whether I dare go and, and talk with Mom. Or if I really wanted something, I would use that to go and kind of soften Mom up a little bit. <laughs> so that, that was sort of the dynamics in the family. <laughs> well, I'd ask Mom. She'd say, go ask your father. I'd go ask Dad. He'd say, what did your mother say? My mother said, to ask you, we'll go back and ask her again. And that was, it was kind of like, okay, where do we go from here? <laughs> well, sometimes the response then I'd get, or we'd get, I'd get from Mom, and I'm sure she said the same thing to you is, I'd say, and you'd, I'd want an answer, yeah, you yes or no, and she said, we'll see. <sighs> or if he asked her why, it was because. And that was it. Yeah. Why because? Just because. Because I said so. And that was it. <laughs> Do you find yourself, the older you get, there will be moments when you go, God, that sounds like Ambrose, or it sounds like Bernadette. Do you ever sort of think of yourselves in those terms? Where no, but I get told I'm sounding like Bernadette. <laughs> so. Well, it's a shock of white hair, too. <laughs> All of you have. Yeah. <laughs> that was fun when we, uh, the three of us went out east, and, uh, We'd walk into a store, walk into a restaurant, and you'd see the, the staff go like this, watch us. <laughs> and at one point it, they said, you're all related. I said, what gave you away the hair? And you know what she said? Yeah. No, your eyes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. That shocked us because we figured it was the hair. <laughs> okay, I'm going to take a break in a minute or two, but what I want, one final question before I do. Leisure activities. Uh, people... Well, they'll, they'll do music, they'll play cards, do crib, uh, they take up crochet. What are the memories you have of what your parents did for leisure activity, and what did the family do? Like, for instance, during the Christmas break, how would you put in the, the Christmas school break with your parents and family? Would be you visiting relatives or? Do we dances? <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah. we did. Yeah. Really? You, you go down to... Well, no. We worked. We worked. You worked? Oh, we well, worked yeah. at the dance hall. So we didn't have time for leisure stuff on the weekends. I never had a free weekend until I got married. <laughs> oh. Well, yeah, we were expected. Of course. Yes. I worked at the dance hall since I was in grade four. Oh, what grade? Grade four. Yeah. I was probably a bit older. Yeah, you child yeah. labor. So when, when, the, when the rest of us are thinking leisure time, you're actually working. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's Joanne, Linda, and Marilyn Plevin in conversation with Barry Conway as they talk about the Lakeside Pavilion and their Plevin clan who owned and operated it from late in the 1940s to early in the 1970s. Time now for a short break, but we'll be right back, so don't lollygag too long. 
We've got some real nifty local history stuff for you when you get back, including the one and true explanation from Johnny Hildebrand about where the more famous alternative name for that lakeside pavilion actually came from. <laughs> 